0: In a previous episode, we brought you a talk from Emily Goodson from our 2023 Spring Seminar. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I recommend you start there first. She really brings a voice to a traditionally overlooked group of stakeholders. In this episode, we're bringing you Howard Pyle, another provocateur who joined the Spring Seminar and made us rethink our ideas about influence. Howard's experience with dyslexia reminds him every day that there's no such thing as an average user. He thinks AI will play a big role in delivering tailored experiences that cater to everyone's unique needs. And he urges CCOs to be advocates for using technology to design for a diverse array of people. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Rivet360 has been working with Page to bring you the new CCO for more than six years. And that goes way beyond just editing and production. They're true thought partners, helping us develop our show's unique voice and identity, brainstorm ideas, and tell, well, riveting stories. To me, that's what makes them and our show so special. They're storytellers, first and foremost. And as communicators, I know we can all appreciate the value of a story well told. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast or you have one that needs some fresh ideas, visit rivet360.com to book a free consultation.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Howard Pyle, I'm the founder of an organization called Experience Futures, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that and what we do. Um, But first I have a little bit of a a dirty secret to tell you, a little bit of a confession. Um, This is is how my brain is wired. My brain is wired differently, my brain is wired uh, around not being able to really think through language in the way that we're supposed to think through language. Um, And it's not uncommon. Uh, I'm crushingly dyslexic, and so is my son. And um, he actually also had a a hearing issue when he was younger, so he has language and speech issues. He's 10, Uh, and it's interesting because I do a lot of work with him. This isn't my business, this isn't my profession, but I wanted to start here to tell you a little bit about what goes into the work that I do? and my background is I was a CTO, I worked in startups. I was a senior partner at Ogilvy, where I worked on IBM that I went to IBM and I was a VP there and actually John Awada's organization where I ran a network of design studios. I was a senior vice president at MetLife. I ran Global Customer Experience and design and launched the global brand, the first new brand in 30 years. We rolled out in 40 markets and And now uh, I, I resigned from that corporate job a few years ago, and I started this social impact organization called Experience Futures. And I'm telling you this, and I'm starting with the fact that I have this intellectual disability, and I've done these things not as a success story. But actually, there's a different spin on this. There's this twist to say that I have been able to manage in a corporate setting as a knowledge worker as someone who has to communicate and has had to write tens of billions of emails and presentations and documents, etc., because I have something that I would consider to be a, ki- a type of privilege that we don't talk about. I have a lot of different types of privilege, but this one in particular is very important for us to talk about in our era, which is I have digital privilege, which means that I can navigate through PowerPoints and emails and presentations because at some point when I was younger, somebody sat me down and actually it was it was a couple people and showed me how to use early versions of word processors, early versions of spell checkers. And I have at this point probably about half a dozen, maybe a dozen different tools that I use on a daily basis, even before generative AI and chat GPT and all that stuff in order to manage and write emails in order to manage and write presentations. And I could still, to this day, I will I'll write an email. I'll take it. You know, I use Gmail. We use Google Workspace. I will look at the, I have the Grammarly plug-in. It'll go through, and then I've got the, the Gmail grammar checker, and then I'll take it, and I'll copy it into Grammarly, and Grammarly will catch things, and, and I'll copy it and paste it back, and I'll send it, and I will still miss the fact that I have the word and twice or that I missed a verb or that I completely, you know, I spelled there totally wrong. You know, this is just, and, it's, and as an executive, it's incredibly embarrassing and it actually hasn't been until the past few years that I've actually talked openly about how that's there. And, 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 and here's the interesting thing is that it's not, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. None of these things are. And so as someone who has built and created communications platforms, digital experiences, brands, software platforms, the one thing that that we often get told is that there is a target user or an ideal user. And the thing that I'm here to talk to you today about is that the average user isn't average. We're not an organization that focuses just on dyslexia or ADHD or neurodiversity. We're an organization that's looking at this next era of our digital lives and thinking about how to design for individual need. Uh, And that's pretty hard. That's a hard thing to do. So 80% of Internet users have very unique digital needs. So here's what I mean by that. So if you think about Gen Z, There's a lot of articles out recently, and those of you that focus on workplace and workplace enablement, they don't have training on antiquated interfaces like Excel or Xerox machines. They don't know necessarily how to use the interfaces. They don't know what that little little floppy disk icon is, (laughs) right? They're largely mobile-only users, older users. Users over the age of 55 have very specific digital needs. They need to be designed for, they need to be written for in specific ways. People with neurodiversity, people with physical disabilities need certain types of design and content presented to them so screen readers can access them and use them. And when you begin to rack these things up, um, you begin to see that there is no such thing as an average user. There's no such thing as a user that has the the ideal set of 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 you know buyer behavior, you know common profile, ability to understand your design. So I want to tell you a little kind of context here. Um, this is a woman named Ingrid Johnson. She lives in Colorado, uh, and there was a story about her trying to access government benefits in the state of Colorado, and it happened to be unemployment in this case. And in order to access this government website, they wanted to verify her identity. Great, makes sense. Government benefits, you know, verify your identity. So they partnered with this other company, this platform, to verify her identity. And the, the request was upload a photo. Upload a photo of yourself using your phone. But the instructions were vague. They didn't make sense. She had an older smartphone. She didn't know how to do it. This woman spent two days trying to upload a photo of herself and ended up having to go into a virtual queue to chat with an agent to get verified over video, which took her seven hours. Right, And so when you think about it, we have this crushing problem where people who need digital access or digital resources are cut off from them because they don't know how to navigate the digital tools in their lives. And this problem is widespread. And it's not just within government, it's within industry, and it obviously affects the way that we sell, it in fa- impacts the way that we engage employees, it, it impacts the way that we access healthcare, finance, education. So this is a this is like a wide set widespread systemic problem. And as companies, both public and private, move to being digital only, this becomes a radical challenge and actually is about access. It's about large scale access. We have a tsunami of digital tools. When you think about managing your healthcare, you've probably got dozens of different tools for insurance, for your doctors, health portals. When you think about managing your finances, how many, think for a second, how many different digital tools do you manage your finances with? How many of them actually work on mobile? So mobile-only users, let's talk about that for a second. There's a huge, there's a huge correlation between mobile-only users and socioeconomic lines. right? The vast majority of people that live in households that make less than $30,000 a year are mobile-only. And by the way, 88% of them are non-white. So if you want to design for equity, design for mobile-only. This is just one example. Right? But how do you do this in a big organization? And this is what we would describe as the, this next layer of the digital divide. Right? It's the digital experience divide. And the academics talk about this as this idea of design access, content access, and cognitive access. Sure, you have a device. You have a computer. You have internet access. But do you know how to use it? That's the era that we're entering into. Right? So this is what we're focused on. We're focused on, as an organization, addressing the experience divide. How do you give people access to the tools that they need when they need it? And we have to move away from this idea of in every organization we're designing for one user that's our ideal target user, this idea of one size fits all in digital spaces. Because it doesn't work anymore. It literally doesn't work anymore. this is where the kind of big bombshell happens. And in this conference, it sounds like you talked a lot yesterday about AI. And that's where, the real, that's where things really begin to change. And so here's the idea. If the average user is an average, and the majority of people need, have very distinct digital needs, and your organizations have a hard time keeping up with how to manage those things right now, How on earth could you design for all these individual possibilities? And the answer is, we can begin to automate different aspects of what different people need. So here is a optimistic, positive potential use case for AI. So if you think about it, there's actually the possibility of understanding what different abilities and different cohorts might need. So I'm an older user. I need you to explain to me why I have to give you my username and password. I only have a mobile device. I need you to present this particular screen to me in a way that I can use it on my mobile device. And if you begin to employ AI to generate different types of experience for different individual needs, not only are you beginning to address that, but you're beginning to actually open up your organizations to new markets if you're a for-profit organization. And so there's this interesting question that happens, which is, if you, if you agree with that, if you buy that hypothesis, and our prediction is that in the coming years, the digital experiences that we interact with, the mobile sites, the websites, the apps, the content, will be generated largely by AI. There's both an imperative which is for your organization to align that to your social impact guidelines with your ESG goals, with your DEI values. But you also need to think about the opportunity there, which is opening yourself up to newer markets, designing for individuals, driving loyalty, driving engagement with employees. So how do you do that? How do you think about matching that? My organization is called Experience Futures, and we have two parts. We have a nonprofit which is focused on education, awareness, publishing, creating data and open source tools for organizations to create more inclusive digital experiences using AI. But we also have a for-profit organization that helps companies create new digital experiences for their audiences, for their employees aligned to inclusive goals aligned to their social impact goals, but in order to drive growth, in order to drive engagement, in order order to drive loyalty. So here's the pitch. Here's Here's the question. And it's a genuine question for this audience, which is, how do you pitch the intersection of the business opportunity and social impact? Do you go to the CFO and pitch growth? Do you go to the CHRO and pitch employee engagement? Do you go to the board and do you talk about social impact goals? Do you go to the CEO and talk about mission and purpose and aligning to that? And this is literally the question that we've been wrestling with for the past year and a half. You know, We started as a nonprofit. We began publishing. We began doing partnership work with organizations. And we ended up creating a separate for-profit, just mainly to be able to go and sell to the people who need to be sold to and talk about influence and mission to the people who are willing to hear that message. Because it's very difficult to have the same conversation in both. And as as someone who's been an executive at Fortune 100 companies, I can tell you right now the thing that I will always find is that there's, there's some people in the room that nod their head at the mission, and there's some people in the room that only nod their head at the dollars. And how do we bring them together? And so this is the thing that I would ask in a session on influence. And I'm not asking you to quit your fancy SVP job at MetLife and go start a nonprofit. But I would say, as influencers in your organization, there is a role, especially for communications leaders, on bringing those two points together. How do you help an organization link together the idea of value and impact? Now, we We do that in other areas, right? We do that in other areas. We're thinking about ESG from a sustainability perspective and an environmental impact perspective. But where did that start? It didn't start because everyone in the organization suddenly began to believe that their their organization needed a sustainable supply chain. It's when the CFOs began to agree that there would be market risk and it would be valuable for the organization so they were willing to invest in it. I mean, let's just be that's just the truth of it. Right? So how do you begin to play out? this idea of equity in digital spaces. And I'll tell you, I've been in leadership positions, running design for large organizations where we've had multiple class action lawsuits because of basic ADA requirements not being met. Right, And when you look at it, there's a dollar problem there. So how do you, commun- how do you influence that? How do you influence that? Do you go to your, do you go to your C-suite and pitch them on both? or do you, go to your, um, do you just go to the business leaders and pitch them on the value? This is the question to ask about this. So we have two things in our organization that we're focused on that we're uh, introducing. One is a process model that helps organizations. It's like the HIG index in sustainable apparel, and it's like the, the, the B Corp certification. It's this idea of going from strategy down through design, matching business KPIs and social impact KPIs, thinking about how you're applying AI in an ethical way and launching digital experiences. And we actually believe that there's a way and that there's a need for organizations to have a standardized process model in order to think about how those goals and those values are linked. Uh, And we're actually in the process of rolling this out and we're looking for partners to help us workshop this within organizations. The other thing that we're doing is we're building the largest repository of inclusive design rules. So we've been—you—you can go to uh, the WC3 consortium. You can go to uh, most organizations: IBM, Microsoft, Google have published accessibility guidelines. Uh, There's blog posts. There's rule sets created. We're taking all of that and we're building a language model that we can use to drive AI queries and generation of content and generation of design by being able to access this large model of inclusive design rules. And we're going to make that publicly available on our nonprofit, but it's also part of the product, the product software products that we're building. And there's really three things that I want to leave you with. One is that um, I, I did some advisory work on a big, with a big tech startup um, last year, and their design team their whole rally cry was designed for all. And their definition of design for all was start with ADHD. And I was like, well, what about the fact that there's three types of ADHD? And what about how older people and people with ADHD don't actually have the same digital needs? And so suddenly there's this, there's this shift that has to happen within your teams, within your organizations. And it's not designed for all, it's designed for each. And that's an enormous problem. How are you going to do that without automation? It's a real question. The second is this idea of digital sustainability. I guarantee you that somewhere in your organizations, you've got a team that's focused on digital accessibility, that's focused on AI ethics, that's focused on uh, how you can make technologies more inclusive. That's like an easy win for your ESG strategy. How do you take those efforts and elevate them and report them out as part of your, what you're doing in your ESG goals to your board? That's a great opportunity. It's easy win. Um, and the third thing is this idea of generative AI can actually be a solution for a lot of the problems that we have about engaging with people individually. And it's actually, there's an opportunity there to design for individual needs on that, but you have to plan for it. You have to plan for generative AI. So with that, uh, I'll say thank you very much and I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts and also be sure to subscribe that way you'll get a notification. Every time we drop a new episode, special thanks to Rivet 360, our podcast partner. Without their support, we simply could not bring you this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.